This morning we read from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, beginning in chapter 21. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Matthew tells us this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem with his disciples on what we have come to call Palm Sunday, remembering the palm branches that people cut and used to cover the road, as well as their cloaks, as a way to honor their rabbi, their leader, perhaps their king, as they were moving into Jerusalem. Scholars tell us that not only was Jesus coming into Jerusalem, but Jews from all around the territory were coming. It was Passover. One biblical scholar noted that the rule or the law at that time was that every male Jew within 20 miles of Jerusalem had to come to the temple, had to come into town for the Passover. A few years later, one of the Roman uh, magistrates did a census of how many lambs were slain for Passover on that particular year. They counted nearly 250,000 lambs slain. There was also a regulation that there had to be a, at least a party of 10 for each lamb. And so if you do the math, you end up with about two and a half million Jews coming into Jerusalem on this holy week, this week for them of Passover. Imagine surging crowds streaming into the city from every direction on this high holy day full of emotion and excitement and religious zeal. They are ready to remember that God has delivered them and their people from the hands of an evil Pharaoh in Egypt, and that this God watches over them now. So they have come to the city with such emotion, so many people. To get the sense of this, we might just think Super Bowl weekend or New Year's Eve in Times Square. I mean, it is shoulder to shoulder people, every street full of folks who have come for this Passover celebration. 
And against that backdrop, also the Romans are coming into town with extra forces. They are the political power of the time, and they want to make sure that there's no trouble, no revolt breaks out from these Jews as it sometimes does against them. So they come on stallions with cavalry, legions of foot soldiers and chariots to make sure that the Jews do what they want them to do. It is against that backdrop that Jesus comes riding in Jerusalem on a donkey. A humble animal, symbolic of peace. How does Jesus come to you? Where have you experienced him most dramatically? We are getting ready to spend a week that we call Holy Week following these footsteps of Jesus. They are the most dramatic events in all the Bible for Christians. Are you ready to follow? Is he the one that you're ready to follow? If so, it's not only the most dramatic of the events, it is the most revealing of the events in terms of the work that God was doing in Christ. Certainly it is that for the first disciples, and when we pay attention, it could be the most revealing for us as well. But as Matthew describes this scene, it seems the disciples are thinking and feeling that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to take over, to overthrow the Romans, to show them who's in charge here. And certainly, he is going to challenge the worldly notions of power, but not perhaps the way the disciples and the crowds that gather that are singing Hosanna to the Son of David are thinking. I'm afraid they're thinking King Jesus like King David, greatest of all the kings of Israel, the one who conquered territory and banished all foreigners from ruling over them. They're shouting out, Matthew says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I believe they are thinking of worldly power. And finally, Jesus is going to show the Romans who is in charge here. And yet, Matthew has already told us that on three occasions... Jesus has told them what's going to happen, and it sounds very different than what the Hosanna parade processional is sounding like. So let's look closely at what Jesus has predicted for his future. If you still have your Bible open, flip with me back over to the 16th chapter of Matthew. In verse 21, Matthew writes, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And then in the next chapter, chapter 17 and verse 22, Matthew tells us, as they were gathering in Galilee... Jesus said to them, the Son of Man, that's how he's referring to himself, is going to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And then they continue 
their journey toward Jerusalem. And by the time we get over to chapter 20, Matthew tells us in verse 17 that Jesus draws the 12 disciples away from all the others. And in verse 18 says this, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And yet, Matthew tells us in this 21st chapter as they come riding in that they're singing a victory song, that King Jesus has arrived. I think they have not quite comprehended what Jesus has been telling them. Just in the chapter before where we read a couple of the disciples start talking about taking their place at the front table. They want to be at the right and left hand of this king when he takes over. Listen to what Jesus says to them in chapter 20, verse 25, when he calls them together. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. And as I was reading over and over this passage this week, I'm wondering... How do the disciples miss this? How do they think this is going to be such a glorious and fun Passover week? But then the more I thought about it, I thought, how do we miss this? How do I miss this? I mean, I get caught up in the worldly notions of power as well. Perhaps you have too, trying to advance your career or your place in society perhaps stepping on someone else on the way, perhaps being insensitive, maybe even sharing a little gossip if it were to your advantage, maybe forgetting those who are less fortunate, maybe bypassing those who are in need of help or aid so that we might profit ourselves. But how do we miss all these predictions and all this teaching Jesus does before we get to this day. One of the most popular TV shows that has been on for the last couple of years is called House of Cards. I don't know if you have seen it. I didn't watch it the first season or two, but now with Netflix these days, you can watch it whenever you want. You don't have to wait till the episode next week. You can just turn it on. And in fact, you can watch one or two or three episodes at a time if you want to. I've done that with this series, House of Cards. It tells the story of a couple. One is a congressman and his wife who have their sights set on the highest office in the land. He wants to be president. And the series unfolds and begins to show how they will do anything to rise in the ranks of power in the halls of Congress. They will lie, cheat, even kill, so that they might move up the ladder. 
And I'll tell you, it's compelling and provocative TV. It is not for the young. This is adult audience-only kind of material. And yet they describe how power works in the corridors of Congress. I'm afraid pretty accurately, it's a little discouraging actually in terms of the sanctity of our political process and our democracy. It will sober you in terms of what's going on in the halls of Congress. And yet it draws you in to this story of this couple, even as they're killing people and getting away with it literally, the producers and directors are so skillful, they make you feel sort of sympathetic toward this power-hungry couple at times. I began to wonder about the end of the second season, how they were so skillful at drawing me in and causing me to begin to wonder, is this how the world really works? Is it really a dog-eat-dog world? And if it is, I better be a savvy, hungry dog or I'm going to be eaten up. It's a whole different model of what life and life abundant is all about. And yet they do it so skillfully, they sort of draw you in to this web of deceit and violence and I don't think it's too strong to say evil as they're working on gaining more power and more stature in Washington, D.C. But as they have drawn me in, I began to think how many of us, oh, not to the extent that this couple does, but how many of us have stepped on somebody else along the way? How many of us have used somebody else or discarded someone else for our own gain, for our own prestige, to make ourselves look good? It's a different model of power and where life comes from, but I'm afraid many of us, maybe all of us, have fallen prey to the temptation the life and death of Jesus that we read about this week suggests a different way of thinking. It reverses the logic of power that you see in shows like that and that you see in the world. Rather than asking, how can I use them to my advantage? The life and death of Jesus suggests to us that we should be asking, how can I use myself for their advantage? Rather than asking, what can I get from them? The life and death of Jesus suggests we ask, what can I give to them? What are you thinking about? How do you think about what is good in life and where goodness and life really come from? The life and death of Jesus suggests that we do not ask, how can they serve me? But we should be asking, how can I serve them? It's a different model of power. And I wonder when it's the model of power and love that includes suffering and pain and maybe sacrifice and death, how many of us want to follow King Jesus then? How many of us are ready for that kind of love, for that kind of power. 
And yet the Gospels all tell us that this is where life comes from, and it's the way to life, life eternal and life abundant. And that's where the passion part of Palm slash Passion Sunday comes from. Passion is the deep feeling for others that opens up within us whenever we connect spiritually to God and it begins to crystallize the possibility and the willingness to sacrifice ourselves in an effort to serve another. A willingness to experience some pain and suffering if it will help lift up another. That is the way that God's love changes the world. That's what the Gospels say. It is a self-giving, suffering, and serving kind of love that's revealed in this Jesus from Nazareth who comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I read a story recently about a fellow named Sir Ernest Shackleton. If you're a history buff, you will know who he is. He lived in the early 1900s. He was of Irish descent from England. He was a bold explorer, and he was interested in exploring Antarctica. He went a number of times. A good part of his life was spent on ships sailing from England to Antarctica. I found the article because in the bold print of this article I saw, it had what he had posted as a notice inviting others to join him on one of these expeditions. It read like this, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, 